The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements, so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com time now for the yahoo sports college podcast with dan wetzel i wanted eight but 12 is more fun and here's one of the reasons that first weekend you will get upsets pete thamel it is going to wholesale change how we view success in the sport here's pete and dan all right, welcome to the pod. It's just Pete and I today. Pat is in Omaha covering swimming and, of course, watching podcast favorite Brooke Forty swim. Sunday night, she was on the NBC. Came in sixth in all of America, the 400-meter individual medley. If you're not up on the individual medley, you got to do the backstroke. You, got, you start with the butterfly, right? She started with the butterfly, then the backstroke, then the breaststroke, then the free free uh, stroke, freestyle. You can tell I'm a big swimming fan. Unless I'm going to a swim-up bar, you know, I don't know that much about swimming. Uh, it was grueling. She came in sixth. We were very, very excited for her. They also showed her in a cap and gown uh, graduating from Stanford. So that was pretty awesome. So I, I think Pat, I don't know. T, what do you think? Is he drained? Is he? What is he doing? Is he hungover? I don't think he's hungover. Well, he's Pat, so he's tortured, right? Like that's Pat's always like a little angsty and tortured. So he's probably conflicted, right? Pat is happy that his daughter got to shine on this huge stage. Uh, You know, the Olympics are always a dream when you're at the Olympic trials. That does not appear like it's going to happen. I certainly don't want to rule it out. But that I I felt like was her best shot. Um, Again, we're now turning into amateur swim swam commentators, which is completely dangerous. Swim swam podcast. Yeah. Um, I was actually like looking to see what time the race was yesterday and like was ended up on swim swam, which like if, if Pat <laughs> can take little victories out of this, like the notion of me on swim swam would definitely get him uh, would definitely get him pretty, uh, pretty excited. So, yeah, I think that's uh, what a what a great culmination for Brooks long and decorated career. And I believe she has one more year at Stanford left too, Dan. Am I right? Yes, about that? absolutely. Yeah. One more year. She's yeah. a reigning NCAA champion. Yes. Uh, she's yes. awesome. Yeah. Yes, she is. Yes, she is. She is one at the highest height, the 1% of 1% of her sport. Like, awesome job, Brooke. It was a lot of fun to watch. See that 40 name on the pool yesterday on NBC to hear Mike Tirico say her name. That was all that was all pretty cool. Pat's got to be bursting with uh, bursting with pride. Podcast. We got to take whatever we can get. We have, you know, the success stories aren't really we are deep with success stories. So we've totally yes. We've totally uh, lived off of uh, of Brooke. All right. Uh, but Pat is not here, but it's just us two. But we could not wait because late Thursday, an absolutely massive development hit. 
We saw it coming, of course. We talked about it last week, but we wanted to get into the absolute details of this. College football's proposed playoff expansion. Uh, it's going to be 12 teams. Uh, this will almost assuredly go through as is. Maybe there will be some, some small changes I have heard, but maybe not. Uh, but this, they didn't, they didn't hold a press conference with three commissioners and a, uh, and the athletic director of Notre Dame to just kind of throw uh, spaghetti against the wall and see if it sticks. Uh, so the uh, playoff is going to have 12 teams. Uh, there are going to be six automatic bids. The top six conferences per the committee rankings uh, will get an automatic bid, which alone is a very interesting development. We're going to talk about all the different one, all the different parts of this. First, the top four teams all have to be conference champions. So Notre Dame, BYU, anybody else cannot be a top four team. Those four teams get a bye. Teams five through eight will then host teams eight through 12 or nine through 12, sorry, uh, in reverse order. So five, 12, all of that. They will host them on campus, a development that I'm very excited about. Uh, then the quarterfinals. We'll go. The winners of that round, the first round, will reach the quarterfinals and play the four teams that have a bye. Uh, this is very much like the old NFL playoffs, which uh, just last year expanded to 14 teams, but was a 12-team playoff uh, prior to that. Uh, so then you'd get your quarterfinals, then you'd go semis. Quarter semis and a championship game are all going to be folded into the bowl experience the bowl industry had a massive victory. All right, stop reading the press release and just get to the gloating. I heard you on Feinbaum and you just gloated. You just like took it as a oh, victory God, lap. I mean, this is like, for, forget the, 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 this data point, and that data point. Dan, this is your moment. You wrote a book trying to kill the college football system. Let America know how pleased you are with your work. Well, let me just say this. Okay, I'll try <laughs> to be, I'll try not to be too, of course I was going on Feinbaum to do it. I had to. I was like, yeah, I'm taking a victory lap. You got your book name wrong, too, which I thought was funny. Yeah. <laughs> you corrected it. it, though. Yes. Uh, did I? I think he said death to the CFP, but we all virtually, know. Virtually, virtually everything in here we wrote 10 years ago. <laughs> okay. Virtually everything. The Our proposed 16-team playoff is basically the 12-team playoff. It was a little different time then because there were 11 conferences, really nine good ones because you still had the Mountain West and the WAC were both really good. And the, the, the Big East was good. And the way it worked, it was a little different. But the concept is basically the same. We thought about the 12 and we ended up just doing 16 because I, I felt that, you know, Alabama playing um, whatever, the MAC champion is basically a buy at home. This thing is basically everything we wrote in here. Bill Hancock himself said this. I want to add one thing to what everybody said. September, uh, 12 keeps September important. It also keeps November important. For me, as I watched the working group work through the option, that was a real benefit of 12. Both September and November are helped. I can guarantee I could pull out the old book if I could find it. There are like, that's, I, you might have you plagiarized this. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, we listened to 10 million. It's going to ruin the regular season. Oh, when we really look at it, more games will matter more. So, yes, I'm quite. There was all sorts of lines. Bob Bowlesby was echoing us. <laughs> the other hilarious part was on like the very formal conference call. You asked like the uh, fly in the ointment question about uh, why they're still outsourcing their most valuable products to the Bulls games. And then there was like silence. And then you cracked a joke. I believe you said something to the effect of, ah, I guess nobody wants to take that. One. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like, boy, Dan's just having himself a day here, you know. <laughs> Anytime like, I go on those things and they're like, next call, Dan Wetzel, Yahoo Sports. They usually pronounce some one of those four words wrong, which yeah. is fine. And then Dan's I can just feel, I, mean. <laughs> I can feel just the like, oh god, this is not going to be like great job, guys. Yeah, tell me what do you think you did best? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, why am I? Ah, look, they gave away millions to their bowl buddies. I mean, tens of millions of dollars. But look, I don't want to make it a negative. This is good. Oh, it's great. They did an unbelievable job. And it's listening great. to their answers, and it was Jack Swarbrick in Notre Dame, Greg Sankey, 
of the SEC, of course, Bob Bowlesby, the Pac-12, and uh, I mean the Big 12, I'm sorry, and Craig Thompson, the Mount West. Listening to their answers, I knew they had truly studied it because what happened the last time, only on a couple occasions, they say stuff that made no sense. Uh, one of them was like, if we use home games, how do we allocate tickets or something like that? It's like, no, you don't. Al- it's a home game. That's how you don't, you know, there's only a few times when they did stuff that were like, ah, oh, they didn't think that through. Very, very small points. They thought through everything. They spent two years. These are four really smart guys spent two years on. It. So they did a great job. But boy, did they take care of their bowl buddies. I mean, they just handed oh, yeah. them tens of millions of dollars on this deal. Just straight. I, it, it will never cease to amaze me, but it always, always amazes me just how much cronyism and how that industry get how how pete how do the bowls get i don't i don't get it so i'm gonna make one point before that i i think that is worth out of this like moment in time and i really think there's a distinct paradigm shift right now of power in college football and I think three of the four gentlemen who, who who wrote that study and were engaged in that study, you can almost now say, you know, 10 years ago, Slav and Delaney were sort of competing for power as, as the two most powerful guys in college sports. I think you can really say that Bullsby, Sankey, and then Swarbrick in its own or in his own orbit are really kind of in that mold now. But the, the most interesting thing, and I wrote a column sort of reflecting back on when this didn't happen and why to how far we've come now in a short period of time is they were all actually like working together. And so obviously the Big Ten has a new commissioner, the ACC has a new commissioner, the Pac-12 has a new commissioner. They weren't around for two years, so they were not going to be able to be involved in this uh, in this in this project. And you really, I think you're seeing like new new lines drawn in college athletics as of who who are the who are the power brokers. Remember when this thing was formed 10 years ago, Notre Dame barely had a seat at the table. Like there was a conversation that you remember, you know, this is the Charlie Weiss era. They're getting run off the field by UConn. And it's like, will Notre Dame have a seat at the table? Now Notre Dame's being lauded for giving up maybe some giving up the potential buy to to help make everything work better. So in a lot of ways, I think this really cements Notre Dame. That gave them a lot of goodwill with the other power brokers. I really think this cements Notre Dame's future as an independent that can get a gangbusters TV deal in the upcoming years. Really wise strategically by Swarbrick to play it that way. Make a big concession. I mean, that was probably the second biggest news story out of this thing was Notre Dame not being able to get a buy. But at the same time, it, it also affirmed Notre Dame and really entrenched them and kept their independence viable. So I, I thought that maybe wasn't like fully discussed. I just thought that was really a, a smart thing. But obviously, Sankey is the most powerful guy in college sports now. I think we can all agree with that. Bowlesby is kind of the wise sage who's who's right there with him. And, and those three guys wrote the next chapter of college football history. I mean, they, they wrote the first draft and there's still some TV stuff and we can talk about that, how the TV deal is going to go and everything and how much they'll get. But for, for the most part, this is this is the first draft of the next course of the sports history, which is pretty cool. Craig Thompson just getting coffee or something? What? Oh, you got Craig Thompson's Craig a Thompson? bright guy. He's a bright guy. He got, you know, hey, he got six six bids, six nope. autos. He, Craig Thompson did a great job and he's, he's right, obviously... I mean, He's he's obviously an old hand and a loyal soldier. Craig's been around for Craig's been around for a long time. Hey, he goes back to the Mountain West, the conquering hero. Oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah. All right, it, so let, let's start with that. Let's start with this. I'm yeah. going to try to organize this discussion because it is a wild, uh, wild one. I mean, it's there's. Oh, we're trying to get is, organized on the podcast now. After no, all these years. Uh, let me. Three hundred episodes you my, in. Dan wants to. Organize my organization it. is this. I have notes. <laughs> twelve teams. It's twelve. That's all it says. Twelve teams. Your thoughts on twelve as the number? I like it. I like it. It's a compromise number, as we talked about last week, uh, because of the AQs. You're, you're six at large, six AQ. And I think it's a very good number. I was never worried that college, if you've ever been to a college football regular season game, you didn't think, like, if you've ever been to Auburn or if you've ever been to Texas A&M or Austin Stadium, you didn't think the regular season was going to lose its value. It's too entrenched. So 
I like that the top four seeds get the bye. Playing for the bye is a big deal. It juices up the conference title games. Yeah, I think it's the I think it's the right mix. Is sixteen too many? We'll eventually go to sixteen. We'll probably cycle through a TV contract before before that. But I I do think that right now, yeah, that, I think it feels I think it feels right. I'm excited. Like I I don't want to I, I want I don't want to understate this. Like this is awesome. It's awesome for the sport. I like all the different variables. I I like that. You know, there's 60 programs now that feel like they have a chance. Like Louisiana Monroe wakes up on August 20, whatever, thinking they have a path to go to the playoff, right? And that just did not exist before. You know, same for Nevada and same for that. I just think it juices up so much more of the sport and it gives and gives places an adrenaline shot and creates more storylines. Uh, I, I think it's great for us and I think it's great for the great for the sport. On that line, I went through the last eight. Uh, seasons, seven in the playoff and uh, or some BCS a little at the end of the BCS and did a the mock what it would look like. Forty one different schools would have made the playoffs. That's great. Yeah, that's great. Uh, right. and, and, you know, Colorado would have snuck in there. Utah, Mississippi State, Old Miss, Missouri, South Carolina, Kansas State. I, you know, some teams you weren't expecting, not just your, you know, there were six bids for for the American. Right. Western yeah. Michigan would have gotten. Oh, away. yeah. But um, so I was in favor of eight. I thought eight really changed nothing in terms of the, the does every game in the right that that Alabama LSU game in the SEC West is, is sort of a knockout game um, because that there's two bids. There's two uh, two at large. So it, it's going to be so competitive. Twelve is more fun, though. And and so I, I love it. I, I you know, I know that maybe that doesn't make sense, but I, I wanted eight. But 12 is more fun. And here's one of the reasons that first weekend you will get upsets because seven beating two, right? If you went last year, let me look at my little, I got notes. I got notes. Well, let's say, all right, let's say, let's say Cincinnati is your eight. They got to go play at Alabama or Alabama on a neutral site. Cincinnati's eight last year. They're probably not winning. Okay. (laughs) That's probably a, a 30 point game. Alabama crushed everyone. In this scenario, Cincinnati hosts Georgia. Wouldn't he be an upset? It's the best night of Cincinnati since Oscar Robertson was there. Absolutely, and they win a game. Maybe Kenyon Martin had a party that rivaled it, but like it would be, it would be a generational night at Nippert Stadium. Greatest thing to go. Awesome, 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 awesome night. Who doesn't? And we know that was a competitive game in their bowl game. Yes, and it was a they win that game at home. Yeah. So instead of last year, Cincinnati, Alabama, uh, Florida, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State, and then A&M and Notre Dame, maybe that A&M Notre Dame game is something. But for the most part, it's not going to be there. This one, you get Notre Dame, Coastal Carolina, A&M, Indiana, Iowa State, Florida. It's just better games. That first weekend is going to be a ton of fun. And we get on campus. I mean, it's just going to be phenomenal. And so I think 12 is good. You're going to get some teams that that stumble. I mean, some there's some weird ones if you look through this historically. Penn State has never made the playoffs. They make it four times in the last eight years. Uh, Michigan would have made it twice. Michigan State three times. They made it once. Wisconsin, no no appearances. They make it three times. Uh, Georgia's how, in there. How fourth. different would Harbaugh be viewed Much. if he'd made the playoff? Two. And may, what if he wins? Because now you're getting in as uh Yeah, sure. Uh, look at in 2018, he's a seven seed. They play Florida in the big house. Oh, that is awesome. Oh, that would be so great. Unbelievable. What if they win the game? Yeah. Right. Certainly sure. could win. Right. They win yeah. the game. And now it's yeah, totally different ball game. Another year with Harbaugh was, let's see, one year they were, they were sixth, 16. They would have hosted uh, FSU in the, in the big house. Could have won both games. Wisconsin could have a much bigger pro. So I think winning Imagine one game. Imagine a playoff game at Wisconsin. 2017. I mean, that just, again, all these campuses are awesome, but the you've walked down that street to cover a football game at Wisconsin, haven't you, Dan, over the Incredible. years? Incredible, yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's like. They yeah, host it. Florida in 2019. Camp Randall. Oh, Camp Randall would just be. Jump around is one of the coolest things that you'll experience on the college football beat. Uh, when they when they play uh, the old House of Pain song between the third and fourth quarter and the press box sways. Like, you know, they talk about corners having loose hips. The press box gets loose hips now, you know. 
Um, Wisconsin would have hosted three games. What was that? They would have hosted three times. They would have hosted Washington. They would have hosted Florida. They would have hosted USC. Yeah. It was the last eight years. So that first weekend, it may not have any bearing on who wins the national championship, but it is an absolutely awesome four games. Like that weekend and on campus and the whole thing, phenomenal. So I love the 12. I don't think we lose that much. Tons of games that currently don't matter will matter yeah. because you're trying to get in. So a Florida, Florida State game last year or, or, or something like some late season game that you, you, we're not thinking of all the ones that would you add to more games matter more. And then you get all this. So I liked I liked the 12. I think it's going to be very, very, very exciting. My next note, five bullet points here. That's my notes. Conference champs. What'd you think of the six? So I thought the six was good. And, and I want to make this point, and I'm not sure if it's amid your extensive bullet point notes. This is great news for the group of five. And part because I think it helps their long-term viability. It helps their, lo- their short-term visibility and their long-term viability. If you're Boise State, for example, or you're Cincinnati, for example, you obviously, if you're Boise, you want to go to the Pac-12 or the Big 12 someday. Now, for the Pac-12 hasn't been particularly interested in them. Boise, uh, you know, Stanford might stick his nose up to him and whatever. I'm wearing my Stanford shirt today for for Brooke Forty to celebrate. It probably doesn't make a ton of sense to go to the Big 12 if you're Boise, but maybe you have to. So if you're at Cincinnati, you obviously want to go to whatever league would take you, right? Be the ACC, be at the, uh, be at the Big 12, wherever. But I don't think... There's that. Now, you want to because you're going to triple the amount of money you make. So I'm not naive thinking, oh, they'll never leave. They'll be there forever and lock arms and sing kumbaya. No, that's not going to happen. But what's going to happen, if you're Cincinnati, you're in really good shape. Uh, I had a coach text me when we broke the 12-team thing early last week, and he said, Gus Malzahn has the best job in the country right now. Gus is the UCF head coach, and that is a place where, you know, in most— it. They're, they won't be favored to win this year because Cincinnati's a juggernaut. But you you at UCF can have a viable path and, and almost an expectation now to be in the to be in the playoff conversation and competition. So that's really cool for those campuses. They they got they they lifted the velvet rope for them. And if you're Craig Thompson, Michael Resco, those those types of commissioners, they, they I mean there was a decade where those guys just lived on the edge, right? And I, I think we're entering an era, and I'm hijacking this with a realignment conversation, so forgive me. But I think we're entering entering an era where we a decade ago realignment was prompted by cable boxes and inventory. Well, now if these leagues are smart, they're they're they they'd contract teams. They wouldn't add teams because if you, if you're the ACC, you don't need three or four of these schools anymore. You can still make more money. So I really feel like. An unintended consequence of this is that it could freeze realignment for a little while. Now, when there's a chaos next summer and everything goes bananas, you can laugh at me and tell me I'm wrong. But I do think the the television dynamics and then the urgency for those other schools to leave could create some stability there. Do you agree with that? I think so. I think there's it's this is a new this is a new deal. There were six bids in the last eight years for the American Cincinnati gets one, Memphis gets one, UCF would go three times, Houston, Western Michigan would get a bid, Boise would get a bid, and Coastal Carolina. Last year, you'd have two group of five teams in, Cincinnati and Coastal Carolina, because the Pac-12 fails. Now, you say most years that's not going to happen. Probably, but as long as you have these conference championship games with these, where, where you have a championship game based on geography, it's not out of the question, certainly in the Big Ten, where, uh, let's say, a a three or four loss Northwestern team or something upsets Ohio State, if that could happen, Northwestern doesn't get in, and all of a sudden, boom, somebody else is in from these other leagues. Only Conference USA hasn't gotten in the last, uh, in these eight years. Uh, You know, I think it's it's terrific. And most years, these teams aren't good enough to even threaten it anyway. So... (laughs) I think the uh, I think the six automatic bids was great. Everyone expected four and one or five and one, but I like this. It, it eliminates to that that undeserving uh, team. You know the the Eight ACC four North Washington team. Yeah. that got blown out out of conference, and then Pitt, 
gets Something hot like that. late. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All I have to say we is pit. That's it. Just pit. <laughs> pit, <laughs> just pit, pit somehow upsets pit. Clemson. Pit. <laughs> the pit don't principle. Don't pit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it eliminates the upset game getting in. And that that is great. This, I thought, was their best idea. And you just and then they really eliminate the division of, you know, for legally, the group of five can't be like, oh, we're getting cheated here. No, no. It doesn't say group of five. It doesn't say power five. It just says, give us your six best. And so everyone's equal. And yeah, they should break their ankles to sign this thing. Yeah, I'm sure they will. I mean, it's a terrific opportunity. And again, those good, really good teams, the Cincy. The ACC, the AAC, the American could absolutely be hosting games. Oh, yeah. UCF would have hosted in 2008, 18. Would Cincinnati Memphis would have hosted 2020. I don't think Memphis would have. Some of those Memphis teams were salty under Norvell. They just read crazy tempo. They had great skill. All those dudes are in the NFL, those backs and receivers. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Memphis would have been, Memphis would have gone to Georgia. <laughs> 2019 again interesting game i just think the ups and then there's an upset that's possible if it's memphis going to lsu not happening but that georgia day maybe anyway i like it i thought that was their inspired way of doing it i thought that was probably their best idea that will that will create a ton of interest and all of a sudden you start caring who's winning the uh conference you you know or whatever the the mid-america any of them the american conference championship game now is a big deal the the one thing you brought up notre dame so Notre Dame, uh, the the buys are only given to conference champions. Notre Dame uh, cannot get a top four bid. So what they gave up in basically right now, if Notre Dame goes undefeated, they they generally are going to make the playoff. Is how we've seen it. They went in this case, they would made three of the last eight playoffs. Now two of them they were undefeated. They would have been four. They would have got a buy. Now you would say on on those two, they would end up the five seed. In exchange for giving up the opportunity for a buy, I think Notre Dame feels like, well, all we got to do is make the top 10 now or we're in. And we can lose a game somewhere in this schedule and still make it. But that's their bit. But if they do have that year where they're undefeated and potentially could have been a four or a three seed and they give up the buy, all they're really giving up is they become the five and they host a game against the weakest member, weakest team in at Notre Dame Stadium, which it's not like they are getting, they have to play a game, but they get the very most, the most advantageous game they could get. So they're the five seed, they're playing the 12. And they get it at home. And part of Notre Dame's overall goal of their football program is to showcase uh, their school. Their school is extremely competitive, gets tons and tons of applications and all that. And it makes no sense because it's like this little school in South Bend, Indiana, right? This isn't Stanford. This isn't Harvard. Like it's what, you know, where are we here? So a home game for Notre Dame, a playoff home game is going to get massive TV ratings and they're probably going to win. That's not, I don't know that that's worse than a buy. Yeah, I think I haven't asked Brian Kelly about this yet. I don't think Brian Kelly probably loves this idea because it's a little bit of a harder path. But I think strategically for the university and the athletic department, it's a great idea. So you get a you get a couple million dollar bump off of your home game, right? Your tickets, your infrastructure, all that stuff. And it's and there's like a novelty. There's not a lot of things Notre Dame's not done, right? Well, they've never hosted a home playoff game. So there's an allure to that. Everything with Notre Dame is magnified a little bit. So I really feel like for, for Notre Dame, and you don't have the conference championship game, so you're likely playing whoever you play with extended rest. And then you'd have a pretty good chunk of time off before you have to enter the next phase of the uh, of the playoffs. So I think it was a really – history will show that was a really smart concession by Jack Swarbrick and by Notre Dame in order to keep them long-term viable in this discussion and build goodwill. And they get a lot out of it, too. They get a ton. I mean, I, yeah. I, think, I don't think they gave up much. Again, like, well, they gave up a chance at a bye. First off, you're going to play conference championship week. This goes into my next point. Dates. Dates of this thing. So the first round games are going to be either the week after the conference championship or the two weeks after. Somewhere in the two-week period. The quarterfinals aren't until January 1st. Yes, you have to play an extra game. You take the risk of losing, but again, you would be the five seed. If you were undefeated Notre Dame and you would have gotten a bye, you play one game. I, 
I'm not sure playing a game, like if you can't beat the 12 seed, you weren't going anywhere anyway. So playing one game in a month, because the rest of these schools are going to take a month off those top four. And, you know, probably four Saturdays or whatever it's going to be. It's close to a month before they play a game. It's not like you've got the grind of the NFL playoffs where you're playing four, three straight weeks and then you get the Super Bowl. There's plenty of time in there. Like you said, you get a bye. They're going to play late November. They're going to wrap up their season. They get a week off at least, maybe two. Then they play a game. Then they get two more weeks off. And then they would go to the quarterfinals. If they're if they get a buy, they have a month plus off. I don't know that that's really a good thing. I just think that, that it looks bad at first, or you go, "Geez, Notre Dame gave up a ton." Ah, I don't know what they really gave up. You know, I you know. So uh, again, if you can't beat the twelve seed at home, you really weren't that good anyway. You weren't gonna. You weren't going. You weren't going to win the national championship. And what a cool like if it's Boise Notre Dame like whoever it is like if they're the, they they do end up the five and they play the the group of five team like if it's UCF like that's just going to be an awesome matchup right like it's the quintessential blue blood versus the you know w- whatever upstart is on the uh, on the menu that year like that's a blast and, to me and it's the primetime game it's Notre oh, Dame yeah. So oh, you're yeah. getting 10 million people going to watch. It's great. So I don't yeah. think Notre Dame gave up much on that. All right, the dates. The dates are an issue. I, I they're they're very interesting. So th- I mean, we're not we're not roaring into this bad boy, okay? No. <laughs> Potential two weeks off. Yep. Then a game. Then two more weeks off because they want to play the quarterfinals on January 1st. Now this is very interesting. I think we all want January 1st to be a college football day. Sure. Go back. People want Americans want to watch college football on January 1st. And one of the problems with the 14 playoff is for because they couldn't boss around the Rose Bowl. They seeded. They gave up on January 1st. It was like except every three years or whatever. Um, they were going to try to change New Year's Eve. They it just made no sense at all. They gave up something they had special. They're reclaiming it. They're going to somehow run four games on January 1st. Or a, an adjacent day. So maybe they're going to go two and two, I guess. I guess that's what it says. Quarterfinals would be played on January 1 or Jan 2nd when New Year's Eve, New Year's Day falls on a Sunday because the NFL and on adjacent day. So they're going to play two games. I guess somehow they're going to work that through the Rose Bowl. So I would expect the Rose Bowl will host a quarterfinal now every year. They have not figured out what they're going to do with the Rose Bowl yet. That has not right. been, but that they has can't not have, been resolved. They, the Rose Bowl is not, not the Rose Bowl is going to play on January 1st because they have a parade. It's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. So I guess the Rose Bowl becomes a quarter, but they got to yeah. move the, but the, they're also the, businessmen. They're like, are we going to host an eternal quarterfinal and give up on a championship game? I don't know. That's not good business. It, well, it'll be interesting. You know who the Rose Bowl's consultant is, Dan, don't you? I, I no, I can't even it imagine your old friend, Jim Delaney. Of course, nobody loved the Rose Bowl more than Jim Delaney. Jim Delaney's love for the Rose Bowl is why this thing's all screwed up in the first place. So they're going to play four. I would like to see the quarterfinals sooner. I would rather the semifinals around January 1st because now we still have two more weeks of action. Oh, yeah. So now they're going to play the semifinals and the championships. These are undetermined. We're going deep into January now. I mean, they're going to take 10 days off from January 1st. They're going to play then... On not necessarily on the same day, they're going to play two semifinals. Then they're probably going to take like we could have a championship game now, probably the weekend. I don't even know because the NFL's pushed back. NFL is going to have 17 weeks. They're going to push back. Yeah, the calendar is a bit of a mess. I think week zero is going to uh, is going to become more of a part of uh, of mainstream college football. Uh, also. Pat was on Feinbaum. I've been listening to my Feinbaum podcasts, and uh, he brought up a great point to Pat in a question. This just obliterates regular season basketball relevancy. For and I'm, I'm hijacking again here, and that's my job today. But like any big games in December now are going to have competition. Usually, like there's that one like weekend in December, like the Heisman weekend, where you can have like Louisville plays Kentucky or or whatever. You can kind of squeeze in some of your marquee games. Now you've got college football running things until what, the third week in January? Yeah, actually, but there's they're gonna have full weekends off. Oh I mean, yeah, that's true. That's they're true. They're only playing once and they're playing conference championship day, first Saturday of December. And then they're mm-hmm. not playing they're gonna play one more time. There'll be one more weekend yeah. in there. 
And then, so there's actually a couple weeks you can get your Louisville Kentuckys and your yeah. Carolina versus Kentucky or whatever, whatever they, they set up. Um, I just think that it, it will run. Is, the oxygen you know, will go deeper into January though. Yes. And you're asking the players not only to play 17 weeks, but to play over an, over, I mean, probably like a 24 week, 25 week season. Like it's a long run of just time. Um, we can get into player safety, but clearly nobody gives a crap. So I, don't, I mean, they, they don't, <laughs> that never mattered to them. That was always a lie. Here we are, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, they just don't care. What was it? Uh, Sully found this. I'll call this little story up. It was uh, our representatives from New England United, at least half, not the Massachusetts ones. The Connecticut ones were not happy, not happy with this, uh, which cracked me up. Senator Blumenthal, is it? Senator yeah, Blumenthal. Yeah, he was yeah. prominent in those hearings the, the other day. The sure. only guaranteed outcome of an expanded playoff and a longer season is more league profit. The players won't see a dime. It's another cash grab. The term cash, everything's a cash grab. This is America, buddy. And then uh, the other one, Murphy wasn't pleased either. This is the, another example of big time college sports executives and administrators making decisions just to increase their own revenue. This, there will be more revenue. To these two, though, I do think it's interesting. Connecticut did win the New York Times national title last year by not playing a single game. Yeah. So yeah. this is the kind of, I mean, you know, one way to ensure player health is just play zero games and have the New York Times call you the champ. <laughs> <laughs> that one still cracks me up. That Senator one still... Blumenthal and Murphy have got to yeah. be pleased with that. It was a bang-up season at the up there in stores. They won the national title. No one got injured. Do you think in D.C., you know how they all play, like, softball this time of year and, like, drink beer on Tuesdays? Do you think all the... All like the bros in like Blumenthal's office and all these senators' office are like, all right, we're gonna out grandstand you today on college sports. All right, tomorrow <laughs> I'm gonna get this. They like they like drink their like Cisco lagers and, and, and see if they can outdo each other. And then then they like they they raise their glass to the Ted Cruz hijack with the transgender thing from the uh, from the uh, hearing the other day. I, I think there's actually just like a quiet competition. Cory Booker's guys beating his chest somewhere. You know, they're all 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 like the the oh, all the dudes who meet at Saturdays at noon and bet on games and get drunk on the weekends. They all have their little roles in the office and they're, they're, they're feeding the, uh, they're feeding the press office grandstanding statements and then comparing them. I don't, I don't think, I don't think they get drunk, watch the games or bet on anything. I think they're, they're not allowed to have fun. Uh, Yeah. I don't think they're, I don't think, I don't think there's any of that. I mean, is it too many games? Sure. But guess what? (laughs) Here you go. The players should be able to make money off a name, image and likeness by then that does alleviate, uh, uh, any number of my concerns about it. It's a profit center. Also, you don't have to play. If the know? players were smart, they would rally together now through some of these new, uh, some of these new open doors and whatever, and demand that they get a cut of playoff game money, and it's paid to them as name, image, like an appearance fee. It's paid to them in name, image, and likeness somehow. Like if there's going to be a billion dollar pie. They need to find a way out front to get a cut of it, and they could shame them into some of it. I, I don't know if the organizational apparatus is there, but clearly, if you're going to go play in the Orange Bowl, you say, all right, we're not playing in the Orange Bowl unless we get an appearance fee in the Orange Bowl. It is an opening that this, these things allowed because they're not, they, are, they have brought in third-party vendors to run this again. And so you're not playing in the national quarterfinals. You're playing in the Rose Bowl presented by FedEx. Kind of interesting. Vizio. Vizio or whoever's whoever's doing it. Because again, they they outsourced this to the bowls. And maybe that would be different if it was just an on-campus thing. Uh, they do not want to pay these players because it opens up a million can of worms, which is why they should have embraced name, image, and likeness a long time ago and you know, took the hands-off approach and let it go. Uh, but anyway, that that's that that goes forward. Same with two what TV network signs it or how much money that's all I can guarantee you this lots of money will change hands and you'll be able to watch. That's I think will be the, the main thing. All right. In terms of this, does it change anything? Does it change who wins? Does it change? You know, I think the thing the 14 playoff did that maybe nobody was expecting is it consolidated power in a few programs in a way that's just unhealthy for the sport. Tip your cap to the schools that are doing great. You know, when Alabama and, and Ohio State and Georgia and a few of these schools are getting so many top players 
you know, it's just it, the, the talent, the talent difference between the top four and the top and, and number three and number 10 is just so enormous when nobody in the Big Ten can touch Ohio State, when no one in the ACC can touch Clemson. Uh, that's not good for the sport. Um, you know, does this change that in recruiting at all? And in long term, I mean, I would look back, I would still say Alabama, your, your final four would probably going to be the same, at least three of the four teams. But does that start to chip away at the edges? What do you think? Yeah, I, I do think there's just diversity in general is going to be good. This isn't going to dethrone Bama or anything, but I do think it allows more natural organic windows for teams to cycle in and through to get hot in recruiting, to take a run leverage name, image, and likeness at their place, get a, get a, get a great player. I do think there's quite a bit more avenues to success where the paths were narrower and we, we saw them narrow and the, the, the narrowing of the paths became problematic for the, for the sport and the conversation around the sport. I mean, this playoff is unbelievable for us, Dan, meaning like the people who cover the sport, like it's oh, just, yeah. it is just a complete boon for anyone who follows it just because there's so much energy infused into it. I think it, yeah, it's going to be, I think the sport will be significantly more popular in a few years. I, I just think yes. it's going to be great. There's going to be more anticipation on a season. Look, will it automatically dethrone somebody? No, that isn't how it works though. Nothing does that unless you have, but does it work the margin? Sure. I was, you know, look, I'll, I'll just say this talking to some people this week, big 10 recruiting. Well, I mean, there's a few top reasons people want to go to certain schools. You want to win, proximity to home, things like that. But can you get me to the NFL? Is a massive decision maker on a top 100 recruit, as it should be. So Ohio State wins most of the recruiting battles. Yeah, they have an unbelievable track record of getting people to the NFL. Penn State and Michigan get a lot of people to the NFL, too. It's not oh, a, yeah. There's yeah. no secret to getting to the NFL. But what does Penn State and Michigan not have? They never in the not, they've never made the playoff. These two programs have never made the playoff. Ohio State has been in it, uh, I don't know most of the years, whatever they did, and they would be in every. Now, Penn, like I said, Penn State four times, Wisconsin three, Michigan. Those schools now, it's one less thing they can't point to. There's no banner hanging in the football facility saying, you know college football playoff appearance and if you check that off that they, the recruiters in the in the league think that will be a big difference because right now these kids only know Ohio State playing in the playoff and now all of a sudden we get those games too it takes one thing will they all of a sudden will Penn State be able to out recruit Ohio State probably not no but will they get will instead of losing uh eight out of ten head-to-head -head battles will they now lose six out of the ten or seven right yeah. And and each one of those matters. So and will Michigan win one more? And will Wisconsin well all of a sudden you add that up and it and it dilute it spreads the talent out a little bit better. Not gonna be the biggest thing. Namage and likeness will be the far bigger uh thing on this, but it certainly helps because right now, even a program like Penn State, Michigan, SEC's gotten a lot of different teams in there, but I don't know, Florida State right now, like they they can't point to anything. And so you have to buy, well, and if you want to play in the playoff, we, uh, we don't just have to be a little bit better and you'll help us. We have to get so good. We have to beat Ohio state. And you're like, Hey, you guys ain't getting that good. So yeah. that's I what Colorado I Colorado was a good example, Dan. You brought Colorado yeah. up before. Like I'd forgotten Colorado was good that year. That was the year Mike McIntyre was the coach of the year. And they, they kind of got hot and had a run. Well, if you're Colorado and you have that one year where you peak, you can build off it and you get kids to visit Boulder. Hey, Boulder's a pretty cool place. Like, you can you it can be such a momentum driver and you can maybe drop the hammer towards building some more classes like i bet if mike McIntyre would still be at colorado if they had made a playoff because it changes the prism of how your tenure is viewed well we talk about and let me say this too before i get to this other point last year the Nash, the two best teams in college basketball were baylor and gonzaga they built up slowly Appearance after appearance after Sweet 16 after Elite Eight, and it slowly you built a program to the point where everyone's like, can't wait for Baylor and Gonzaga. And if you had said that 50, oh, they'll never be better than Carolina and Duke and Kentucky. Well, now it's different sport, but you build yeah. and build and build. And so, like you said, maybe a guys can stay longer or maybe they don't have to leave because they say, you know what? You don't have to leave. You said, Gus, what if Gus Malzahn 
start to make what if what if oh, UCF's in three three four of the next you don't seven, take the eight. Tennessee job or whatever if you're at UCF and you're making the playoff you so know. you slowly build up how take Harbaugh Harbaugh is under all sorts of fire can't beat Ohio State well what if the definition of success at the school is yeah. no longer can you beat Ohio State and then eventually you get past them by almost going around them yes take a Michigan you can't get past Ohio State Jim Harbaugh can't get past Ohio State, and that would rub fans the wrong way. You know who couldn't get past Kansas basketball was Baylor. Baylor lost every single year. They lost the Big 12, and then all of a sudden, they don't need Baylor. They don't got to face them. You know, you take you take a year where, you know, we said Michigan's hosting Florida, then maybe they get, they get a shot at Clemson on a neutral site or Oklahoma on a neutral site, 2018, depending on how it shakes out. Well, maybe they can win that. You don't know. Maybe they can beat Oklahoma. Uh, and all of a you're in the final four. And maybe Ohio State loses to, you know, Alabama, and you you just don't have to do it. And then, maybe, you know, so I just think there's there's so many more successful seasons this way. Um, Penn State's amazing. That's a lot of appearances. I mean, it fundamentally shifts the sport, and it fundamentally shifts the prisms through which we will view success. I mean, you don't talk about wholesale change. Like, this is a big deal. It is going to wholesale change how we view success in the sport, which I think is unbelievable. Now, that said, Harbaugh can't be going to lose and, and giving up 64 points to Ohio State still. No, I, they'll be on them. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah but, no, you know. no. But, uh, yeah, but, it, but at the same time, yeah, Penn State's an unbelievable example. Um, Wisconsin. Jeez. Like we yeah. mentioned them earlier. Yeah. Uh, a whole bunch of these, you know, and, and you're going to win a game. You know, you go in these student, you go to campuses. You and I both go to a lot of campuses. You go in the student, the the official bookstore or whatever, you know, and they got those paintings of, you know, this memorable victory in the past or, you know, a night game between the hedges or whatever it was. These will be the biggest victories in the history of campus. That first round playoff game, yes. other than this, maybe one or two epic seasons. but. You know, if if it, 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 Texas A&M last year, if they beat Indiana at home at night, Kyle Field, they 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 win a playoff game. That's the picture that's going to be in. There. Like we want a playoff game at home. It's going to these are going to be some of the, if not some, the biggest victories in the history of a lot of these extremely. It's up there with the pacemaker punch. Not bigger than the pacemaker punch. <laughs> They beat LSU. No, but I, yeah, you know, like these are just going to be unbelievable nights. You mentioned Wisconsin, like just, just incredible to win a playoff game. It's going to be so exciting for these teams. You imagine Barry Alvarez's bar tab for a Wisconsin home playoff game. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the, the GMP of half the European nations. And then how about this? To go back to this neutral site, they should let the quarterfinals go to the top four. The top four seed should then get to host the quarterfinals. I agree with that. And th maybe that's one of the nuances they can push through. Um, they, these are smart so. people. Like they put certain things in certain places to like uh, some of the the smaller nuances of this to, to maybe be pushed around. I'm getting less and less the feel that this generation of leaders of college athletics are as indebted to the bowl system as the previous generation of leaders of college athletics. That is the impression I'm getting. I can just no see the skepticism. Okay. All right. Yeah. No, no, no. no. Well, it's, no, it's because less. I'll tell you it's why. Less. Yes. But can they quit him? Can, can they quit can't him? quit me, can't, you sexy orange blazer. Yes. You sexy canary yellow orange blazer. It's I like can't a bad quit you. <laughs> yes, I can't quit you. No, so this is what used to happen. And AD was paid like 105 grand. Yeah. Right. And it was this old former coach or somebody. And so when the Fiesta Bowl gave him and his wife a free trip to the Biltmore and, and golf and then all the stuff. And I mean, and it wasn't just a trip. Like you got to remember some, we, we know one bowl game because they, they got caught like misspending John Junker and the Fiesta Bowl, mm -hmm. misspending money. But some of the stuff he, he, he sent Mike Trangisi for a birthday present, a free set of golf clubs, just as a birthday <laughs> present, right? Flowers. <laughs> Gifts when your kids graduated from high school or college, you're getting Fiesta Bowl cash. Well, no, it's not, not a payout. It's just a we're such good personal friends. He bought, he spent a hundred grand or ninety grand to play golf with Jack Nicholas and brought along uh 
a guy from the Big 12 and different things, right? Like they did tons of stuff to, and, and in the past, these guys weren't making huge money. And so, hey, that vacation is unbelievable. Now these ADs make really good money and there's less of it, right? Matters less. But that said, they're, if they're giving them the quarterfinals, this is a huge transfer of cash. I mean, they are just, that, this, that's worth tens and tens of millions of dollars. They're just giving it to them saying you run it here. We don't want to run these sold out sporting events. We don't want them. Who the hell would sit there and go, I don't want four sold out sport, 100,000 people showing up, all the yeah. rights, my hotels in my city. This is the thing I don't like. We're, we're helping prop up suburban Phoenix hotel rooms. Yeah. What about the hotel rooms in Norman? The people yeah. who rent the Airbnb, the liquor store, the drugstore, the every single thing. That's like, how much money you talk about the bar tab of Barry Alvarez was well, someone's selling him that booze on in Madison. <laughs> someone's pouring those beers. We'll go a little inside baseball. Cause if you're listening this long, you, you probably care about some of the details. The contract right now for the playoff all, all, is really a seven game contract. So it's obviously a 14 playoff. There's three games, but it's a seven game annual contract. And that includes the New York six bowls. And it's some confusing rotation of bowls that, you know, spins, spins all the way through. So when you, so, so people are like, Oh, it's going to double. Well, there's three times the amount of playoff teams. Right. And so one of the little pieces of magic of this for those invested in bowls, AKA ESPN is that the cotton bowl and the orange bowl and non-host years and whatever they are in the non-host years, they, they get an unbelievable adrenaline shot of ratings, relevancy, all that stuff. Like that's transformative for, for those. So it's a seven game contract. That's going to become an 11 game contract. So I, I bring this up to say, how do they chop it up? Do, does, do the bulls use, the leverage they have still being included because the Bulls are going to have to change their contracts too to some extent, I would think, right? And the the new format would create clauses to write new deals, et cetera. So does some of that leverage the Bulls still having individual deals and then wrapped in this bigger deal, does it force them maybe in? Like, is that going to be, are they going to, are they going to, are they going to wedge their way in on legal? And God, if you're listening to Dan and I for legal advice, you're really in trouble. But I really do think that there is going to be something ab about how those contracts are wound through that end up allowing the Bulls to have those four games instead of the uh, top four seats, which is a shame. No human being with a pulse in his neck wants to see an epic game at a neutral site as opposed to a home stadium. You're either a fan of the visiting team or you live in that town. Like, or like, I've never met anyone who just like really likes the Orange Bowl. Maybe you're from Miami, you do, because you went there growing up, but... We want to see a raucous home environment. You want to play for that raucous home environment and have that be a nice sweetener. Okay, we're playing all these extra games. Oh, we get to play at home. I mean, it's kind of wild is you could have a season that ends, uh, you're talking third week of January. And if you're Alabama, you could you could play your last home game before Thanksgiving. Sure. You could have like the Iron Bowl at Auburn and then you go to the S and then you play four neutral side games. Like it's just a weird concept, you know. They love neutral site at the NCA, and so they they can't conceptualize how awesome the NFL playoff is. And they were even bringing up, well, you got to winterize the stadiums, and it gets nobody wants to play a game and games. Uh, Michigan State in January, like they do it, the Michigan State people do. Like yeah. last year, we had playoff games in Green Bay. Guess what? A team from Tampa went up there and won. Like nobody at that game, even Tom Brady was probably like, this is pretty cool. The road team won against the, at the Vikings game you were at, where it's minus 45 degrees or whatever. That's true. Too. I was there. Yeah. Six below zero Seattle won, and his epic game. Bud Grant came out in short sleeve shirt. <laughs> Greatest Minnesota flex of all time. Um, I don't need a coat. <laughs> it's only six below. Man's like, he's like 85 years old. Yeah, but the, yeah, the Bulls, you know, I, I I just I think it'll be unbelievable for the towns that do get to host. I hope they go to eight and let like I hope they let the 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 main four teams. But I mean, these towns make so much money when they host a game. And these are the towns and the communities and the local fans that support college football so much. 
and so for them to get that money in those towns, I, you know, I actually, I've meant to bring this up earlier. You're talking about how we got here. Uh, I was talking to someone over the weekend, and one of the things that they said was a shock to the system. I don't know if you've heard this, was when, because co- college commissioners and all these people, they basically just hang out in college football circles. So everywhere they go, people are obsessed with college football, right? You go to, you're, you're, you're the SEC commissioner, you're hanging. I'm not saying it was Sankey, but any of them, you go in Gainesville, everyone's obsessed with college football. Everything was when they hosted that Alabama Clemson game out in San Jose, in San Mateo, Santa Clara, Santa Clara. And nobody cared. Yeah. They were in one of the five biggest cities in the country. Remember we were there? Yeah. And like walking around downtown San Jose, like you would, nobody cared at all about college football. And it was like this, like, you know what? This isn't a national tournament. Yeah. Like we're in, we're in, we're in a huge area of the country. Nobody cared about that game. It was like college football didn't exist there. And it's like, we've got to get all of the country involved. It was more a curiosity than anything else. It was like, why are all these people wearing crimson and that orange jersey? Like, you know, all the hipster. It was just, it was what it was. So I thought that was a big shock. Unwittingly, that terrible sight for the championship game came through for us. Yeah, well, this is a a point I've made for years, Dan. I'm sure you've made it for years too in columns, is that... This is the first time in recent memory that the entire sport got together and said, what's best for everyone in the sport, not what's best for us. There was some giving up of slices of the cookie in order to make the pie bigger, to use like tortured dessert analogies that don't make sense. But no, for years, everybody just clung to what they had and nobody said, hey, is this going to help grow the sport? Like I live in Boston. It is not a college football town. People don't watch college football here. So I'm always keen to like, look, the the people who love college football in Boston either went to a school like that has big time football and went, or they're betters. They're like the people who text me on Friday, like, who do you like? Like, so like you need to get into Boston, Philly, DC, Portland, Oregon, Bay area. Like you, those, you need the common fans there. You, going national with college football with with the BCS, and there were some good things about the BCS, as as much as it pains me to say. I I know probably you'll throw me off the podcast for saying that, but it did help nudge the sport from regional to national in some ways. So, but what you really need to do now is you need to capture the casual sports fan, the pro markets. And this, I think, goes a long way towards doing that because you're hungover on New Year's, you flip up your phone and you get your BetMGM app up and you fire in a $100 bet on Memphis to upset Notre Dame at Notre Dame State. And you're, you're hooked, you're in. Like that's, it's, uh, it's such great gateways and pathways into the sport. Last eight years, 23 bids for the SEC, 22 for the Big Ten. The Big Ten's the big winner. That might surprise people. Big 12, 14. Seven of them are Oklahoma. ACC would get 12. Pac-12 would get 13. Actually, Pac-12's next. Then, So a lot of people think the ACC's doing great. It's just been Clemson. Pac-12's interesting. There are 13 bids. One, two, three, four, five, seven different schools. Arizona would get a bid. A memorable year. They were the 10th seed in 2014. That was going to be a wild one, man. 2014, Alabama won. Oregon, two. FSU three, Ohio State four, and then this was when Baylor and TCU oh, were five rod, six, right? Yeah, and then we would have had Mississippi State hosting a game. Oh man, Mississippi State would have let's see, Baylor would have hosted Boise State. So okay, TCU would have hosted Kansas State. Mississippi State would have hosted Arizona, and Michigan State would have hosted Ole Miss. What a what a complete <laughs> what. Like what? <laughs> That's your total mayhem. Anyone could win. Anyone could have won that year. And then yeah. Ohio State, Alabama would have rolled through them, but it would have been a fun weekend. Oh man! I mean, just like it, like Tucson is a perfect example of that. Like maybe that helps get that program going. That's popped once a decade for thirty years, right? Like they had the Dick Tomey run with the Desert Storm. They had some moments under Rich Rod. They didn't seemingly have a whole lot in between, but I have to think about it. Um, Always yeah. wondering why you're not good, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Maybe yeah. that one year springs it. Yeah. And all of a sudden, ten thousand more people. Fill, they got that huge stadium. It's hard to fill because it's like 114 degrees. Yeah. Um, yeah. Washington. You know, some different ones. Yeah. Just really interesting. Really, really interesting. All right. That's it. One topic. 
That's all right. One topic. We thought we'd get uh, we'd go deep on this one since it's uh, <laughs> sort of significant. Uh, Pat will be back later this week. We'll find out. Uh, he'll he'll take a break from swim swam and join us in his busy schedule. He'll tell us all the news and uh, we'll get his thoughts on the playoff too. Uh, and who knows what else will go down in the next two days. Anything can happen. It's college football. We'll talk to you then. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.